2: This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by The Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. This will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar, but to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I really liked. I'd hit a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass, or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and call it the town gardens. They have more than 100 televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for, and they have great food. The ACO has everything you need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it, and I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want, every day they want it. What's up, you guys? This is Bram, and we have a really fun episode waiting for you today, one I cannot wait for you to check it out. But before we begin it, I wanted to acknowledge the passing of Bill Russell because it's just such an enormous loss, not only to the basketball community, but to the world at large. It's basically common knowledge that Russell was one of, if not the most talented and successful player to ever touch a basketball court. I did a little bit of research, and from what I can tell, over a 15-year stretch, from his junior year at USF through his final year in Boston, he was a two-time All-American. He won two straight NCAA championships. He led USF to 55 consecutive wins. He won a gold medal at the 56 Olympics, and he went to the NBA Finals 12 times winning 11 titles and served as the NBA's first black coach during the final two. But what some don't know is that he was equally as successful and impactful off of the court. This quote is from a statement his family released following the death. Quote, but for all the winning, Bill's understanding of the struggle is what illuminated his life. From boycotting a 1961 exhibition game to unmasking too long-tolerated discrimination, to leading Mississippi's first integrated basketball camp in the combustible wake of Medgar Evans' assassination, to decades of activism ultimately recognized by his receipt of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, Bill called out injustice with an unforgiving candor that he intended would disrupt the status quo and with a powerful example that, though never his humble intention, would forever inspire teamwork, selflessness, and thoughtful change, end quote. Now, I got to admit, this is pretty personal for me. I'm an Oakland native, which is where he went to high school at McClyman's, but more than that, Mr. Russell was a personal friend of my grandfather, Ralph Hillsman, who helped coach him at USF. Now, it was Ralph's character and integrity and just presence that helped shape me throughout my life, and he's the reason I love basketball so it was crazy important for me to at least say something. So on behalf of the huddle, my family, and just the basketball community at large, I wish my deepest condolences to Bill Russell's family. May you rest in peace. We're gonna bring y'all to our huddle. You are in the awareness huddle with me, Bram. With me per usual, my boy and producer, Marcus.
3: What's up, Dev Nation?
2: And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Boys, it's been forever since we've recorded, and I am fired up to announce that rejoining us after way too long, a national NBA specialist for the Washington Post, an accomplished basketball writer who penned multiple cover stories for publications like Sports Illustrated, the host of the greatest of all talk podcast, the author, of Bubble Ball, where he details his blossoming friendship with an egret named Mikey and a man who is just <laughs> dead set on becoming the Elizabeth Holmes of podcasting. Mr. Ben Gulliver, what's going on, Ben?
4: Oh, uh, so you heard my plan to like deepen my voice to kind of increase my credibility. I, I've been thinking about doing it. I kind of whipped out. I actually went on a podcast earlier with the Spinsters. you know them? Uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy and... Uh, yeah. And Jordan Liggins, it was the perfect opportunity to unfurl the plan, but I choked. I couldn't do it. I just kind of had to stick to my normal voice. But man, I'm starting to do too many things. That's way too long of an intro. It made me sound way more uh, established and distinguished than I actually am.
2: Well, I'll tell you that I was nervous about you not immediately recognizing the Elizabeth Holmes thing. And if you didn't, I thought it would be a really weird way to start <laughs> this, where I'm like, I'm suddenly yeah. referencing you as like this shuckster Elizabeth Holmes. So I mean, you know, I think we're off to a good starter, man. It could have got a lot of you.
4: Well, also, good news, Bram. Uh, the prison has Zoom now. So I can, I'm just, you know, <laughs> straight from my jail sentence here to, you know, offer a, a con, a federal cons take on all the Warriors' matters of the offseason. I'm exactly
2: am. what we need. I appreciate that. I should give you a heads up that we've asked Marcus to do this entire thing in a fake, very deep and awkward voice. So, I mean, no, it's, <laughs> it's coming. Don't be distracted by it. When it shows up, uh, so I've got a ton of Warrior stuff, needless to say, but I want to start with a topic that'll just have me shut up. So the the segment is called Storytime with Uncle Ben. Here's the idea. I listened to your podcast with Waz, and you described the you know, Vegas Summer League, and I, I have always wanted to go, but never have, right? So for this one, I'm going to shut up, and I'm just going to ask you any story, anything that stuck out to you from your time in Vegas.
4: Well, first of all, I just love summer league. I've been going to summer league for almost 15 years now. It was one of the first events that I actually got credentialed for. And I mean, I'm going all the way back where I'm sleeping on my friend's floor in Vegas in this tiny little apartment. Thank God she had air conditioning, you know, but I'm just doing whatever I can do to get down there because I'm thinking, wow, this is the best access I'm ever going to have to these guys, you know, sitting courtside, watching them, uh, the rookies as they're interacting with fans. I mean, I was just kind of basketball nerd heaven and the event has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I kind of feel like I've grown up with it. And now, you know, they're using real jerseys instead of the old pennies. You know, they're, they're playing all these games on national TV. They're lining up the special, like number one versus number two draft pick mashups to make sure people are uh, watching on ESPN. And then to top it off, you got the big stars, you know, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, John Moran, uh, Kyrie Irving showing up to sit courtside and kind of, you know, watch their teams or just taking the action. So it's sort of become this carnival, all these other businesses that are kind of loosely affiliated with the NBA go down to Vegas. So it sort of becomes a trade show almost. I just love it. Um, and on top of that, you know, you got, I mean, it's it's become such a thing, a guy like Kyrie Irving, Times his arrival at Summer League for like Chet Holmgren's, you know, big matchup because everybody's going to be watching Chet on TV. So he's trying to kind of leech off of the Chet mania <laughs> as he's trying to get this trade done between the Nets and the Lakers. So the whole thing is just wild, you know. Everybody's dissecting does LeBron talk to Westbrook? You know, where are they, uh, you know, sitting on in different parts of the uh, the arena. I mean, all of it to me, when you're coming off of just the super high stakes, super high stress, just grind of the playoffs where I'm flying cross country back and forth between San Francisco and Boston every game seems life or death Steph gets injured after game three and I'm just like oh no the whole season is ruined how can you have like the biggest star in the finals go down you go from those heights down to you know just kind of the pit of Las Vegas summer league where by the end of it after 11 days there's nobody left I mean I pretty much had exclusive access to the championship game celebration because there's like three reporters who are willing to stay for 11 days. So, uh, yeah, I just, you know, as a basketball junkie, as a guy who spent 93 days in the bubble and and went to Tokyo and and spent three weeks there, just, you know, riding shuttle buses back and forth to the games and empty arenas for the Olympics. I mean, this is right up my alley. It's the true degenerates. And my favorite part, I don't think I've ever told this on a podcast before. Um, basketball at Summer League is the vice because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't really gamble. I mean, I might put like $20 in a slot machine, but you get me onto any sort of a card game, that's just, might as well just be throwing the money away, right? So all of the things that are fun to do in Vegas that the players love to do in Vegas, I do none of them. I just sit in the arena and
2: watch basketball. So it's kind of funny like that. Lo- so let's see, working in no particular order. Um, and this probably shows my age, but I used to be a fan of the WWF. Not the WWE, it was the WWF at that point. And there's two kind of things that they used to give you, right? The things that happened in the ring. And then you get those scenes, like what was happening in the locker room. You know, Randy, the Macho Man Savage would go hit Hulk Hogan, like in a car or some shit. Summer <laughs> League reminds me of those locker room scenes. You know, like when, oh, yeah. when you're talking about, like just as you mentioned, When LeBron and Westbrook are both in the arena, but they're not sitting with one another. We spend a bunch of time like, Oh, what does that mean? Do they hate each other? And it's just like that behind the scenes footage. Um, And then this is the only uh, relation is in Vegas and no air conditioning. But the last time I went to Vegas, I stayed with a friend, which I immediately resented. I should have just got a fucking hotel. And the guy refused to turn on air conditioning. It was 120 degrees, refused to turn on and said it kept him up. So, Just random question for all of you. I said nothing. I was just nodded like, yeah, that's fine. That happens to you. What's the right move? Can we force them to turn on the air conditioning? Can I say this is fucking bullshit? I'm staying in your house? Or when you're living, you know, you're staying under someone else's roof. You have to deal with whatever cheapness they decide is appropriate.
4: I mean, I think that the going rate for a hotel that actually has AC in July uh, in Las Vegas is probably like $44 a night. So if you can't afford 44 a night, I think you have to play by his rules. And I think, in general, the move is to call the Uber and to get the heck out of there.
2: I mean, I say this with all due respect. Fuck you, Ben. I was trying to get you to side with me. You made me look like the asshole there, which is not what I was expecting at all. MT, Vegas Summer League, on the uh, sports bucket list, something you want to do?
3: It is now. Before, it wasn't. It was a cool thing that was just kind of like, uh, I didn't mind missing it. But now to Ben's point, you have all the marquee players sitting there courtside, you know, watching who's who's coming on to the squad for the next season. And it's it's a variable who's who and um, seems like it's just a, a cool place to be. So um, I, I kind of want to it's it's on my bucket list now as of the last um two years <laughs> I imagine
2: it being like what Disneyland is like for my seven-year-old kid you know she walks around Disneyland and she runs into Mickey Mouse and she sees Minnie and you know we just run into the characters she's been watching forever and the idea of standing around you know playing craps and then bumping into Kevin Garnett or Kevin Duran or Garnett or anyone who's out there absolutely speaks to well,
1: me I uh I in high school I got to I was in marching band because I you know I'm real cool like that. And so we went to Disneyland to perform. And the deal with that is they take you behind the scenes so that you just pop out in the middle of Disneyland wherever you're actually going to perform. So I saw like Goofy without his helmet on, right? I saw the like real weird shit behind the scenes. And that actually also kind of feels like Summer League because to me... Yeah, the stuff that happens on the court, whatever. I mean, Ben to your point, quickly you start to see the top NBA draft picks no longer playing the games. And it is almost to me more excitement about what's happening, not even just off the court, but not with the players. I'm like, I'm interested to see like all the executives sort of whining and dining with one another. It seems like the place where everybody gets together, not just the players. And it's sort of like the basketball intelligentsia that is an exciting world that I want to participate in as well. Wait,
3: were, were KD and Kevin Garnett both at Summer League this year? Probably. Graham, everyone's there. You're
2: apparently not listening because <laughs> everyone's there. And I'd like you to take a little uh, moment to actually listen to the responses. And I love the idea of Maxime, like, skulking behind some table as, as GMs are meeting, is just watching him like, I don't know, it's cool. I was a part of a munching band, so I'm a pretty cool guy. You you probably want me to be uh, to be a member of this.
4: Well, I undersold the fact that it is a takesman's paradise, too. I mean, look, if you guys have podcasts and, you know, you have takes on all these players, I mean, everybody who's a takesman rolls to Vegas, watches like 12 minutes of James Wiseman or Kaminga, and then it's instantly let's fire off the takes and, like, pretend that this really is, like, super important and matters. That's part of the fun of it, too. Like, I, you know, everyone... There's a lot of scolding going on. Like, don't overreact to summer league. I run the other way with it. Completely <laughs> overreact. It's such a big deal. It's so much more fun to overreact and see what they look like. Because by the time training camp rolls back around, look, there's going to be a whole new batch of stories. So you might as well, you know, you might as well say James Wiseman's back or Kaminga looks terrible. Whatever, whatever your take might be, run with it
2: uh you're telling that to someone who's been rooting for this team for long enough or the only thing i used to have is summer league bullshit man you know i used to convince myself like no the warriors are back because bellinelli just had a 65 point explosion in summer league oh, also I-, I should let you know marcus i was gonna go and record a podcast with both durant and garnett at this last uh, summer league but i didn't have time it was what it was <laughs> let's talk warriors boys uh Let's get to a uh, fairly popular topic, one we do every single time. So this is the Warriors uh, glass half full. Ben, what we do normally is we look back at games that have recently been played, give something we like and something we don't. But for this one, change that. I want you to look at the Warriors offseason. And I want you to give us something that you like and something you don't like about it so that you feel the same pressure. You should know that Warriors Twitter, at least, and the fans who, uh, who populate it, are going crazy. They are uh, manic depressive. Occasionally they're saying things like with GP2's loss and OPJ bouncing, we are screwed. Then when DiVincenzo signed, they're all the way back on board. So what you are saying is going to directly impact the emotional well being of a lot of people. Um, But what do you think, man? Something you like, something you don't?
4: Big Loon is back. I mean, come on. Isn't that enough to make it kind of a win all the way around? Um, I think I wrote a story during the playoffs calling, you know, Kavon Looney, the fifth Beatle. I mean, that's kind of pretty much who he was. I mean, you look at this team, especially now that Wiggins is somehow a god of basketball, which makes no sense whatsoever. Who knows if that's going to, you know, last forever. But for, like, a nice, strong two-and-a-half-month stretch there, he was just an absolute god. Um, It's so funny that all those guys are all making just insane amounts of money, and Looney is like, hey, guys, he's, like, passing the hat. You know, he's making, like, (laughs) $5 million. It's so such a weird dynamic, but he's such a great trooper about it. Had a great, great postseason. Came up huge for them in a number of uh, you know key moments. I thought he was their number one priority. Now, I, I do understand what you're, you're saying about the Warriors fans probably uh, crying out Gary Payton's uh, name in their sleep, you know, like whimpering, uh, wishing that he would uh, come back. It's going to be a hit. I mean, there's no way around it. I was surprised they didn't take care of him. It reminded me a little bit of when the Lakers didn't take care of Alex Caruso. And all the fran- fans freaked out about that because yep. they loved Alex Caruso. And there was this sort of like intelligent counterpoint of being like, oh, come on. You know, he's not that important. He's probably just overrated because he does things that fans like. Gary Payton was really good in those playoffs. He changed the course of the finals. I mean, his highlight reel of steals in the finals is like 45 minutes long. I mean, that's, yep. you, know, you really have to chop it down if you want to make it digestible. And so um, that's going to be a hit. There's not really any way spinning that. But to me, Looney was the was the guy. You had to bring him back. Otherwise, you're going to have huge roster balance issues. You're going to have to start plugging in guys who are way worse than him, or you're going to have to, you know, completely, um, you know, rely on Wiseman to be the guy. And I have been a real optimistic Wiseman. Like, hey, he's going to bounce back. He's going to be able to do it. Everybody's just too down on him. Watching him closely at Summer League, and here I go overreacting. Um, I'm a, I'm I'm pretty nervous about his defensive mobility, and that's something that Looney is so good at, right? Getting out there on the perimeter, sticking with guards, moving those puppies. How does he do it? I I don't really know how he does it. Wiseman much more comfortable five feet and in, you know, yeah. with the with the rim, and that's going to be a big difference. You don't really want to have to play drop if you're going to say you don't want to have to like change your defensive scheme to kind of uh, cover up for Wiseman's uh, shortcomings, and so I do think that could get exposed at, at points next season. So. I think Wiseman should be happy Looney came back. Frankly, everybody
2: should. When you said you are going to have a hyperbolic response and then mention Wiseman, I was getting ready to be like, also, Wiseman's going to be a Hall of Famer. And it did not go that <laughs> direction, Ben. So maybe down the line, you can tell us you think he's going to be great. Uh, MTV- hey, I got some...
4: In this closet behind me, I've got some Wiseman rookie cards. So if he wants to go to the <laughs> Hall of Fame, that's fine by me. Uh, right now, they're probably not worth the, the paper they're printed on, but we'll see.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it depends on what they're printed on, but no, probably not. You know, I, my my imagination is that they, they have not hit that peak value. MT, we haven't heard from you on this. So something you like, something you don't about the offseason.
3: Yeah, I'll go on that. Just to piggyback quickly off of Ben, um, I'm worried about Wiseman defensively too. I think he can get there. Looney wasn't there of where he was, where he is now um, a few years ago. But I mean, Wiseman comes in and he's like got six fouls in eight minutes. So, you know, that's going to be problematic um, once the season starts. But something I like and didn't like, um, both are trade related. Um, what I like is that we did not mortgage the future to try to get KD, Kevin Durant, back on the team. Um, there was talks. I don't know how serious they were, but discussions of trying to um, trade for Kevin Durant with, you know, Moody and Kaminga and Wiseman and Wiggins wouldn't have worked because of unless they got rid of Simmons. But um, I just think it was too much talent and too much of a hit to our strength the numbers. So I like the fact that Bob Myers and Joe Lacob and team, are saying um, we're sticking with what we have, whether that was because they couldn't get a deal done, and behind the scenes they were pushing for it, or because they really believe it. I think it's the right move. Um, what I didn't like was something that another team did, um, which was Boston signing Brogdon and Gallinari. Um, they were already a tough out. It was a it was a tough series for us, um, and I think Boston got measurably better and health permitting, if they're healthy at I- I think it's a rematch of the finals. And that's a much, much tougher team for us to beat. And I think Draymond alluded to that on his podcast when he said Brog- Brogdon could be the piece that we look back and say, oh, he was the championship piece for them. I think he without saying like, oh, they can beat us. You know, he would never say that, but he alluded to the fact that that's a really tough team to beat with those two pieces if everybody's healthy.
2: They Mm -hmm. needed ball handling and shooting. Brogdon gives them both at an all-star level, and they didn't give up shit to get him. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, Quick, you guys have heard me say this, so I'll make it remarkably fast. What I don't like, the GP2 thing. And look to uh, Steve Kerr's reaction when Dylan Brooks took him down. If you want to know how important – uh, you know, he was, he said, we all love Gary Payton. And that fucking play was dirty, but you don't have that kind of reaction when someone gets hurt, unless you realize the importance of the team. And, you know, he lost his mind and the, what we have not replaced because I think we've replaced some of the shooting we lost by OPJ and some of the athleticism with Divincenzo Chenzo and uh, Jamichael green. What we don't have is perimeter defense. I'll put that differently. We don't have anybody who can keep John Moran out of the fucking paint. And as someone who's going to take those games hard, anyways, I do not like that idea, which leads to what I like. Warriors know what I just said; they're not just going to leave this as some unchecked box. And so, what I imagine the assumption is that Clay is going to recover more. They're, they're leaning on him. Kuminga is ready for a larger role in that way. Uh, Wiggins has shown that he might be able to help us as a perimeter defender. So, if you know, the assumption is that these we will we will fill these holes from within. I like that. We'll see if it works, but I'll like that.
4: I have two quick footnotes on that, though. Okay, number one, Uh the good thing that we should like is that Gary Payton did get paid. Remember, Steve Kerr's whole thing that he was upset about, not just losing it for the playoff run, was he was worried it was going to alter his career. Instead, Payton gets the big payday, so that's nice, and and you like to see that. Second footnote, um, you're talking about no one keeping John Moran out of the paint. A shameless plug for my Instagram. I have a screen by screen uh, photo from sitting courtside at the Memphis uh, Warriors game when Josh shook Jordan Poole so bad he spun around backwards (laughs) and and had to put his hand down on the court. It's unbelievable. I've watched that play probably 500 times because I was just happy to be videotaping it when it happened. Get to, used to that. that. That could be happening a few more times next year without GP.
3: Maxime,
2: I'd like you to erase the last 30 seconds. And if you have the technological prowess, I'd like you to get onto Ben's Instagram account and erase those fucking pictures too. We got to, we got to get those <laughs> offline. We don't need those anywhere at all. Transition us into our golden questions. Uh, ben, this is our version of a mailbag. People reach out to us and, uh, Give us questions about the Warriors, sometimes give us personal stuff. This one goes both. It starts with the Warriors, and the question is to you, Maxime. We've heard this a few times, but will the Warriors, when they take the floor, when the season starts in October of 2022, will that team be more talented than the team that left the floor as champions in Boston?
1: I mean, I'm just kind of shook in general. I feel like if Jordan Poole is on the roster, we're screwed. That's what I just heard from Ben. I don't know that I can recover from this one. <laughs> um Stay away no, from his
2: Instagram account.
1: I, look, the thing is, is uh yes, I think uh I, it's more than a whimper for me when I'm sleeping at night yelling Gary Payton's name out. I'm I'm bereft uh for sure. But the deal is is at the end of the day, he was somebody that was on a non-guaranteed contract before the season started. We picked up as the 15th man on our roster. Yes, he made a huge impact um in the finals for us. We're really happy that he came back. Um, you know, at the same time. He's not one of our star players. Clay Thompson is one of our star players. And I think there's reason to believe that he's going to come back much stronger than we even saw in the finals. There were some moments where I was uncomfortable with still his shot selection um, as he played it out. So yes, I do think on paper, if a Hall of Famer is coming back better than he was next year, this team is going to be better.
2: Ben, this one's going to you, um, but let me hedge it. I'm hoping to poison your answer. Right. right. So the last time we did this, what we did is we looked at individuals, you know, will Wiggins be more equipped to help push them towards a a title next year? Will Clay be further recovered? Will Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody play bigger roles? And so we baby stepped towards it. Right. All those guys should be better. So even though they've lost people, that internal development makes them better. That's at least what we've convinced ourselves. What do you think, man? Looking at the two rosters, you know, which, which one's more talented in your mind?
4: Um, you know, it's tricky because so much of it hangs on Steph's health, right? It's like Steph got healthy and just narrowly avoided that injury in the finals. And the whole thing looks differently. I remember the first injury when he went down, when it was at March, I thought that could be a season kill. You know, I was thinking like, is mm-hmm. he going to get back in time? Is he going to be up to hundred percent? Are they going to have the chemistry and all that? So the fact that they won the title in a year where they had a terribly, two terribly timed Steph injuries is ridiculous. And yep. I, I think the first one gets forgotten in the story of last year's Warriors. I see two factors that could make the Warriors better next year. It's the trio of young guys that you mentioned. It's just depth. It's keeping minutes off of your big players. It's you know incorporating them in a much bigger way, whether it's Wiseman, Kamingo, and Moody, so that they're ready to be just regular playoff rotation guys in a way that they weren't this year. That's a big difference. And that's a lot of you know length and youth and athleticism that they didn't have. Um, but they still need to prove it. All three of those guys still need to prove it. Um, the second one would just be the shared minutes between Steph, Draymond, and Clay. Isn't that the most reliable formula in the NBA? Those three guys are on the court. You're going to have crazy high plus-minus. Last year they basically never played together. Presumably next year they're going to play together. So I could see a situation if they have better health um, next year where they're winning more games. You know, uh, but again, they a lot of things had to go right for them to win that title. Um, not that they it was not lucky by any stretch. I mean, we've definitely seen luckier and flukier titles in the last five years than that one. Um, but, you know, when you're dealing with you know, your main three guys all over 30 needing to hold up for two straight months in the postseason, that's tough. And, and doing that two years in a row doesn't typically happen. Didn't happen for the Lakers. Didn't happen for the Bucks Losing Middleton uh, didn't happen for the Nets. I mean, their guys dropped like flies the last couple of years. And so, you know, to me, like on paper, are they more talented? Yes. Uh, is that, you know, are they going to win more games? I would say yes. Um, but is that going to pay off in a title that's kind of where I start to do the uh, the Michael Jordan shoulder shrug against the Blazers. I don't know, you know, you tell me.
2: <laughs> or the the shoulder shrug that his uh, his security guard did when he beat him in that quarters game. Oh, uh, and yeah, you know, which is just yes. legendary, man. Like, yeah. for whatever reason, I still think about that all the time. But he beat MJ
4: at his own game twice. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like he beat him at the quarters, and then he beat him with the shrug.
2: Can you now that we already knew how you know, psychopathically competitive MJ was, and then you know, the last dance really underlined it? Can you imagine how good that dude must have been as a security guard for him to do that and then not getting fired immediately? <laughs> like, I mean, don't, like what we view of Jordan, like, don't you think, like, yeah, that's really funny? Get the fuck out, you know? And then, like, no, <laughs> apparently he did not do that, which uh, respect to both of them. MT. Well, so
4: didn't you didn't you get the the feeling from Last Dance that Jordan liked the security guard more than he liked Pippin or any of his teammates? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think if, if he's power ranking everybody else in the entire show. I think that guy might have even been above his wife. I don't,
2: think, I don't think there's any question. I think if Pippin did that shoulder shrug, he would have been like time for you to get the fuck oh. out. But, uh, <laughs> you, know, you would have got punched like curve. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, MT, let me change the question. Here's our next from the golden questions. And I think you may have already answered it, which is why I'm throwing it your way. Looking at what's happened at least so far, who won the off season? And uh, I'm interpreting that to be what team, you know, used this offseason to improve the most.
3: Yeah, I think it's Boston. Um, they didn't lose any big pieces, and they gained two ones. Uh, Gallinari is still a knockdown shooter. And, and Brogdon, if healthy, he he's pretty fragile. He only played 30-some-odd games last season. But if he's healthy, he's a um, legit scorer and a stout defender. So it just makes that – number one ranked defense, even tougher. Um, um, compared to the Warriors, I think, you know, we, we talked about it. GP2 is a, a hit. Um, Otto Porter was a hit. It was the first season he's been healthy in a long time. So, um, you know, I think that was lucky for us. Um, I think DiVincenzo is, he's coming off of an injury season and he's pretty athletic and Jermichael Green is good. Um, So I think Boston wins it, um, the off season. Um, and then sneakily I think with their health coming back and getting John wall, depending on how well he plays, the Clippers are going to be tough in the West. Um, you know, that, that three, that lineup that they can put out there of small ball too is going to be tough to beat. If you have John wall, Kawhi and PG, and then you have a Marquise Morris and, you know, um, you know whoever else they want to put out there you can put a, a covington or, or a norman powell um that's Batum. a that's, they kept Batum too for yep. cheap yeah there you go Batum. yeah so that's a they have a lot of options to go small and kind of play at our level when we go down that size with draymond so um i, I think they sneakily even though john wall is not like this amazing pickup i think just by having an off season where they were healthy they didn't blow up anything and make any big trades and they're just going to come back. I think the Clippers are going to be probably our, our stiffest test in us going back to the finals.
2: What you're saying, I think dovetails a little bit into what Ben was saying that the Warriors roster is going to be better, but I'm not sure if that necessarily means that they have a better shot at a title. I mean, the, the league is better. The West specific, Dallas is way better. They, they got Christian Wood for like a basketball and a cup of spit. Uh, the Clippers, if they're healthy are better. I even think that Phoenix can be better now because they added anybody, but I thought that the contract that Aiton didn't sign going into last year kind of hung over everybody's head, and they were kind of aware of it. Now all of that shit is done. He's signed and in, and they're they're remotivated. So I think it's going to be a much uh, a much harder analysis. I get Boston won the offseason to me. It pains me to say it, and now they're in the Durant sweepstakes. It sounds like um, if they're willing to, or they've been discussing a deal involving Jalen Brown. Ben, how would you answer this, man? Who won it?
4: Well, let me just say, if Brad Stevens trades Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant, he is officially a godfather. I mean, we got to just, we got to completely rethink everything that we knew about Brad Stevens. I mean, he was playing this dorky, aw shucks, I'm wearing khakis, I'm out Butler. If he comes through, trades Kemba, gets Horford, gets Derek White, and then, you know, breaks up the core that the Celtics fans love to grab Kevin Durant, that
2: is just brass, you know what? It's it's a Kaiser Soze moment. Right. It's like, it's when he, when he, like he drops the, the limp and slowly walks out like, Nope, turns out I'm a motherfucking godfather. That's exactly <laughs> right.
4: It would be wild. It would also be great if he just started showing up dressing like Pat Riley after doing that, <laughs> he just like changes his entire look. He's like, yeah, I got swag
2: now. I'm His hair kid. slicked back. I love this.
4: <laughs> yeah, I know. I think you guys hit the nail on the head with Boston in terms of being the winners. I'm not, we'll see if they're done or not. Um, I think that, you know, one other thing to point out with Dallas, who you mentioned, so they lose Brunson, uh, which is like this huge hit. Everybody's talking about that. But they also get back Tim Hardaway Jr., who, you know, you go back a couple of years in that playoff series against the Clippers, like he was Lucas' number two guy. It wasn't Brunson yeah. in that series. And you, you could argue on net, you know, did they wind up winning that transaction a little bit, especially just because they had already paid Hardaway. So um, that's one thing to keep in mind. I actually saw a lot more losers this summer um, than I saw winners. You know, obviously Utah blows it up. I like how they did it. You can call them a winner for just their sure. their trade package, but you know, they're completely falling to pieces. Um, another quiet winner, though, would be Denver. They bring in Kentavious mm. Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown, right? And so we were talking about the importance of perimeter defense earlier. I mean, they would kill to have Jordan Poole playing perimeter defense for sure. them last year. I mean, we could the four of us, actually five of us, or four of us, four on five. Could we score on Denver? We might need an extra live body. But if we were playing five on five against Denver, I think we're getting buckets off the dribble against their perimeter defense last year or not next year. I mean, I'm not trying to say KCP and Bruce Brown are like the two greatest, you know, lockdown guys ever, but they're big upgrades. And it just helps to rebalance that backcourt for the nuggets. I think Denver has like a kind of a quiet chance to be the number one seed in the regular season. They're kind of just built for that. Jokic said great health. Um, He's actually going to have some help, um, help this year. Murray comes back, is going to be super motivated and rested. So I don't know. I think they're going to be in the mix to have, uh, you know, definitely home court advantage and possibly better than that. What does that mean in the playoffs? Who knows? Uh, but I like their moves this summer. I
2: didn't even mention Denver is one of those improved teams. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And it wouldn't be shocking um, if they came back as a one seed. So interesting take. Uh, give me your top three. As, as of right now, if you had to bet something that uh, impacted you, you know, a year's salary and they forced you to bet it. Who do you think are the top three teams in the East and the West at the end of next year?
4: Um, I think for the East, you're looking at um, Boston, Milwaukee, and then everybody else. You know, Miami took a step back. I think Philly actually has a chance to be number three. It would be cool if Toronto hopped up and did it. I just love how they built that thing. I don't know if they have quite enough talent to do it, but – They're sort of like my laboratory where, you know, I'm not going to try to say like, oh, yeah, me and Masai see eye to eye. We're just two geniuses evaluating (laughs) basketball. (laughs) Two godfathers. But like the idea of interchangeable, you know, everybody can play everybody. Everybody's super long, athletic. I just love that group. In the West, um, I think Memphis losing Jaron Jackson Jr. for quite a long stretch here is going to knock them out of that top tier. I think that's kind of an underrated um, development this summer. So I think the safe answer is going to be Phoenix, Golden State and I'll take Denver as my top three in
2: the West. Let's go to one of our title questions. All right. So the question ultimately is, or one of the features we've been seeing over and over again is how much shit the Warriors have been talking. The victory lap, right? The, (laughs) what are they going to say now? And so the question is, do you guys like that they have been doing this shit talking? You know, What's your personality type? And then I've got a follow-up that I'll keep in pocket, but take that first one, Ben. You know, do do you like that in old school basketball? This never happened. You know, they'd won and then it was inferred, but you didn't see people come up to the mic immediately and take a victory lap. Now it's different. You know, now we see Steph going up there and doing this, looking through his eye or screaming out, "What are they going to say now?" So, what do you think? Do do you like that they've taken this approach?
4: Well, I'm a pretty old school guy by nature. What's the most important thing to me is handshakes after games. I'm so big on the handshakes. I don't know why it's such a weird thing. (laughs) I want to see whether guys, you know, walk off the court and how, you know, sort of like Isaiah Thomas going back to the last dance yeah. or whether they they say congratulations, they give the hug and they show the deference to me. It's like, once you shake hands, all bets are off afterwards. You can kind of go up on the SB stage and just talk as much trash as you want. As long as you're not bringing guys, family members into it and you're just kind of being lighthearted about it. I, I like some good trash talk and, um, you know, you have a short window for it, too. It's not like you can go into next season and, and keep talking trash. So I think get it out of your system in July and August. And uh, by the time training camp rolls around, everybody forgets. That's the amazing thing is this thing resets so quickly. You guys remember when the Bucks were the, the champions? It wasn't that long ago. When was the last time we had those conversations? We just
2: don't. It's 100% true. <laughs> So here's the follow-up. All right, person wants to know if we would do the same. If we won a championship and then had an opportunity to take shots at uh, the or you know deterrence out there, would we do it? Don't answer because Ben. One of the things we do on here is called judgment theater. So we take a question like this and Ooh. then we guess what other people would do. <laughs> so you can start with me, boys. If if I won a championship and had an opportunity, was gonna go up and give a uh, give a speech via a press conference, would I keep it classy or would I open it up and take shots at everybody uh, everybody out there? What do you think? Maxine, why don't you start off the guessing?
1: Yeah, I feel like you would keep it classy until you're ready to get off the podium. And then there'd be a mic drop moment where you realize that the whole time you were machinating to put us in a position to just have this absurd burn um, as you're walking off. And then everybody realizes you're the godfather. MT? MT?
3: I think you appreciate how um, you may not get back there. Like if, if you're there celebrating that championship, you know, you want to make the most of it. So I think you you, you lean into everybody from the, the minute the mic gets hot and you're just letting them have it. You might even wear a T-shirt that just says the champ is here.
2: <laughs> ben, we, we, uh, we basically just met, but you've had a chance to really gauge my neurosis here. What do you think?
4: Well, you know, you came right off the top with the WWF reference. So I'm picturing like personalized cupcakes. I think you're going to go the whole deal. I mean, I think (laughs) you're going to make it super personal. You're going to get up into everybody's business. You're going to have a good time with it. And you're going to understand it. Look, if it comes back the other way, you can play the heel. You know, you can kind of play both roles. It's just kind of a a matter of what the script calls for. So uh, that's, that's my prediction. I think you're going all in you're body slamming people. You're, you're flipping them off, you know, top rope, you're doing the whole
2: thing. So you are almost immediately on the money with the exception of you added like a little class there that I'd be capable of both sides. So no, there would be no class at all. There's a, this is another (laughs) old movie half baked with Dave Chappelle. And there's a scene where somebody gets fired from, I think it was Taco Bell and he takes the mic and goes, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. That would be me. I would have a list of hastily written fuck yous and I am like, I wouldn't even want to get them all out. I'd be so excited to do it and just, you know, would, would ruin the moment, make everybody feel uncomfortable, but it would be worth it. It would absolutely be worth it. Uh, this is
4: MJ's hall of fame speech is what you're describing, which I <laughs> loved, right. and everybody else hated. It was great. <laughs> exactly
2: right. I would, I would invite my like fifth grade PE teacher just so that I could lean in and be like, and yeah, I've always hated you and you helped push me to this kind of motivation Let's guess with Maxime. I'll go first. I think Maxime would be like this really esoteric exercise. I think you would go up there and I think you would have shit talking, but no one would would hear it. Like um, every now and again on Twitter or social media, you'll see somebody say something positive, but then when you look at the first letter of every word and you put them together, it actually spells out fuck you. You know, it's like this like treasure map for the shit talking. That's what you would do. You'd go up there and you'd say all these nice things. And then when you re like listen to it back over, you'd be like, wait a minute. I think he's taking hella shots at people, but he's hiding them all. That's that's my guess for you. MC, what's your guess?
3: Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. Um, Maxine would do the subliminals all day and be really good at them. Um, Kind of like how Drake, he doesn't say anybody's name, but you just know he's talking about. Maxine would do the same thing. Vaccine.
4: This sounds like uh, you're a little passive aggressive, man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If these guys are—they're—they're they're insinuating something about your character here. Are you taking this?
1: Uh, not, not exactly. No, because my fear, my fear in all of these situations, regardless of if I'm legitimized in whatever it is that I'm gloating about or not, is that the comeback is going to be so severe that I won't be able to handle it. You know, like Grant Williams saying that I wear a Smedium, which was just be like, it doesn't even matter what it is. I just be like, "Ah, the world thinks I'm an idiot now. So the fear, the repercussion fear would keep me from, I think, overstepping my bounds in any situation. (laughs) Well,
4: that's fine. I mean, you know, Draymond needs people to just egg him on. I think that's a great role for you. You know, it's like when you have, there's other guys who are not going to have that fear whatsoever. They're just not wired that way. So your role is to just kind of, Hey, like, Hey, Draymond, you know, Grant Williams, like he was saying something about you in game two, you know, he said he looked up to you, but that, uh, you know, whatever, blah, 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 from high school. And you just, you're that guy. I think that's a great role because your hands are clean. You still get to party. You still get to get all this champagne on you. And Draymond can deal with all the backlash. I think it's Let's a great, it's a great
2: approach. <laughs> pause to give Ben credit where it's due here. that was like watching a, a very accomplished trial attorney at work. You didn't drop a guess. You threw a question towards Maxime and then he revealed the answer, man, which was just, actually was like fucking a few night or a few good men. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, Marcus, my guess for you is way more straightforward no you wouldn't you'd have all the anger in there but you'd play it hella cool and boring and then like afterwards you'd tell people like behind the scenes yeah i do hate those guys but i want to play it cool i wouldn't say shit
3: yeah, you're spot on, except for the boring part. It would not be boring.
2: Hella boring. Which brings us though to Ben. And I want full questions here because uh real hard. His description, you know, it's it's both sides there. It sounds like, I mean, with the handshake thing, he certainly he, he likes to show respect and has respect for the game and for how things are played. But also sounds like once that respect has been played, he will spit in your ear and let you know about it. You know, like he, he's got big shit. So My guess is it sounds like as the game ends, we see a lot of like passionate hugs and congratulations from Ben with all the opposing players. You mean a lot to me. A lot of those things where they're covering their mouths and he's saying like really nice things. And then once he's covered that base, sky's the limit, off he goes. So we would hear the, uh, what are they going to say now looking through the eyes, uh, from Ben, you boys got a guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That kind of adds up to me. And I think it would be, it would be very clinical. You know, it's like how Draymond remembers every name of everybody that was drafted ahead of him. <laughs> I feel like Ben has that same energy of just like, it wouldn't be a, like a voice raising situation. There would just be like a calm, maybe like hoodie on at the mic, just like dropping knowledge about why he's the greatest. It would be kind of like that energy.
3: Was I was the- going to say classy the whole way through until Ben said everybody hated Michael's Michael Jordan's speech, except for him, he loved it. So I'm out of way now. I think picking up on that, if he loved MJ's speech, I think he's gonna he's gonna thread some MJ into his own. Well,
4: so here's what I'm thinking, guys. Um, I never let loose. Like I just don't let loose. I'm pretty buttoned up, especially when it comes to work environments, but even just in my daily life. Like I have good escapes. I, I stay balanced, but I never just like go wild. I think there's a chance like I would start my press conference and just be like, I just want to thank the opposing coach for such a hard fought series. And like I would play that and I would get about two minutes in. And then especially I haven't had a drink since 2007. If I got some champagne in me, it could be (laughs) uglier than Draymond. Like, I feel like it could just be like if I actually had like accomplished like a lifelong goal, won my first title, I think I could see like just ugly tears. You know, calling out haters from like second grade, just like unloading on absolutely everyone and then completely regretting it when I woke up in the morning because like it would be totally out of character. This is what I would be worried about, sort of like Maxine's concerns about uh, you know coming back to bite him. I just wonder if I would finally break character and just, you know, not be able to deal with the repercussions.
2: I love the idea of you going out there, giving them 90 seconds of pure class, slow pause, you reach under the table pull out a giant <laughs> of champagne, smash it. And then just start, you know, dropping shots. <laughs> like, yeah. And now I have some other opinions. You're going to like want to record them. this part. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then erase it by tomorrow. So I don't regret it.
4: <laughs> well, you know, um, Giannis kind of had that. I mean, this is sort of what I'm thinking with Giannis. when he wasn't going negative, but he's going to like the fast food restaurant. Give yes. me a 50 piece. I mean, if I'm a son, if I'm one of the Phoenix suns, I'm so angry at that entire clip. It's just like, Oh man, where we give up 50? And now we just got me forever. And you, you <laughs> saw uh, the, the ugly tears from Giannis and the family time and all that stuff. I, I kind of wonder, it matters if it's your first, second, third title, whatever, you know, I think that there's, there's kind of a difference there, but I think I might just completely lose it. Like Giannis after his first.
2: Ben, you were awesome. I really appreciate this. I am also positive. I'm not the only one feeling this way. For people who need way more Ben Golliver in their life, where do they go?
4: The, the 15 places you mentioned off the top of the episode. Uh no, <laughs> WashingtonPost.com slash sports, The uh, greatest of all talk.com is my podcast uh, that I do with Andrew Sharp. We're doing two episodes a week, every week. We don't take summer breaks, kind of like you guys. You know, it's just keep them rolling. Now is <laughs> the time for content um and you know instagram uh for the jordan pool uh explicit images yeah, don't uh, go there them being twisted around by john Morant uh, at
2: Oliver. yeah no i i support everything you just said with the exception of the instagram and hopefully if maxime is as good as what i i think he is that won't exist in about 30 minutes so yeah, yeah. just go ahead and take that down <laughs> ben we appreciate you for us you want to reach out to us get us a golden question let us know we did a good job bad job any job you can shoot us an email too Huddle at warriorshuddle.com. Our only social media is our Twitter account. That's at warriorshuddle. With that in mind, go Warriors. Hopefully, we'll see you real soon. Good, good.